Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, Shiro Shinobi's fandom extravaganza, brought to you by our new sponsor, Future Industries. Future Industries, sorry about trying to kill you, we're under new management. And now, without further ado, Matt, Dave, and Devindra. Hello, yes, we are back. Even though Legend of Korra uh, Book 1 is complete, we are here with a new episode, um, but basically fueled by your reactions. Um, we've had such a good time conversing among the three of us, but uh, we wanted to really reach out and get some responses from you guys. So we're basically going to run those down today. I'm Matt Patches, and with me as always are uh, Devendra Hardwar. Hello, hello. And Dave Gonzalez. Fueled by you sounds like Soylent Green is people. What, what was that? <laughs> An episode fueled by you sounds like Soylent Green is people. Anyway, instead of uh, doing a summary by Dave this week, since there is no episode, I'm going to let um, YouTube user Uprov introduce our episode today. Take it away, Uprov. Ever since the finale of The Legend of Korra premiered this previous Saturday, the Korra fandom has been split right down the middle. People who loved it, people who hated it. Now, before you continue watching, this is a major, 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 major spoiler alert. Do not keep watching if you haven't seen the finale yet. There, have all the people who live under a rock left? Good. Let's get down to business. So that that basically describes, I think, the reactions we've seen across social media, across the web, to the Legend of Korra finale. For me personally, you know, watching it and getting on Twitter and Tumblr and seeing people react, it was a lot of positivity. And then slowly but surely, um, a lot of naysayers, a lot of people felt a little burned by it, I think, um, in... Uh, Lost-like fashion. I remember when Lost Finale, people are still tweeting at Damon Lindelof, the writer of that show, and telling him that he screwed everything up for them. Uh, and I started to see that a little bit with um, reactions to, like, Michael and Brian's writing and decisions and non-reveals and such. What did you uh, guys get the sense of uh, from fandom after this finale? I saw some of that, too, but uh, I also, you know, having gone through all of loss and so many tv shows where i've been burned by the ending i kind of just want to slap these little like whiners and say you don't know how good you have it kids (laughs) so really like yeah i actually had problems a bit with the ending too but you know what this season was so tightly written and so like well put together that i could forgive a bit of uh, a bit of i don't know dropping the ball at the end but it's it's leading up to something interesting next season a finale so, can't really yeah. for me at least a finale cannot ruin an entire show exactly exactly uh, especially when the show the is per- like so t- well written like this one lost had issues all along the way true this one didn't i mean the problem that people had with lost uh is that you know it didn't answer any questions that they thought they needed answering and then we, what people seem to be complaining about here is that oh we got all the answers that we wanted it's like, oh, come on, guys. I mean, some people, I saw someone complain that everything was the simplest answer. <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, yeah, that, that's a sign of good storytelling if it seems <laughs> obvious all along, but you weren't able to guess it. I mean, right. I mean, what I liked about Korra is that, you know, it was conceived as a miniseries. And the last episode goes back and recontextualizes what you just saw, which I think was one of the first things I said to you, Patches, after I saw you after the finale. It's like, yeah, it just it made everything simpler. Like, A Voice in the Night is about Korra's fears that eventually come mm-hmm. to fruition, you know, eight episodes later. And so it, it makes some sort of sense. I mean, it does put things into starker relief of things that didn't work, be there your relationshiping or your, uh, you know, is Korra going to kill herself or, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, but I think those are all problems that complicate the series, and I... Even though I see people complaining, what I haven't seen is people just saying, like, that sucked and shutting down, which I yeah, think yeah. is a, is a right. good sign. It's people spurring them to converse. Yeah, at least we're good. still in dialogue, period. And I don't know about you guys, but I had more people that hadn't been watching Korra, like, texting me and emailing me and being like, should I get on board with this? Do I have to watch Avatar? So there's... <laughs> Everybody was loud enough about how awesome Cora was in the Twitter sphere and Facebook and Tumblrverse that you know we're picking up some newbies. Yeah, and I, I read it like you oh, probably sorry, can recommend this to people without watching Avatar. Like I was, I was holding off on doing that for a long time, but given how self-contained the season is, you're going to miss some things if you never saw Airbender. But 
you know, you can always go back later. And I think that would it would work just fine. Absolutely. One one can lead to the other in mm-hmm. this case, thankfully. You know, I saw some other reactions to it. Um, someone on Kotaku, the gaming blog, wrote uh, a piece called The Not-So-Legendary Legend of Korra that was basically <laughs> like, why did we love this show? Nothing Let happened. Be it's boring about everything because I'm Gonker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, the the thing with that is, I think a lot of people too had expectations from the very beginning that Legend of Korra was going to be just like Avatar: The Last Airbender, and mm-hmm. when it became nothing like Avatar: The Last Airbender, minus some of the mythology stuff the connective tissue, uh, it lets some people down. But the nice thing is, uh, even the naysayers, kind of like what you said, Dave, the people who maybe were left unhappy with the finale last week, I think there's such a love for the show that they're persisting on. They want to love this thing, and they'll keep talking about it, and they'll keep kind of extrapolating and thinking about what would my version of this show be, because I love it so much. And Mm -hmm. um, the the fire burns. The fandom burns on. Um, Why why don't we jump into some of the reactions? The fire rises... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm plugging the Dark Knight Rises. I've been paid by Warner Brothers. Uh, Dave, why don't we jump into some of the the fan comments that we got? Do you want to give us the first one? Oh, okay. Uh, I guess we'll just go on order. We're going to kind of jump around. You guys had a lot of awesome thoughts, and some of them interlock, so we might just uh, bring them up randomly. Uh, This one comes from when Sarah met Tumblr. Uh, It's a Tumblr question. Quote, in the first Avatar The Last Airbender, Bending appeared spontaneously in the Southern Water Tribe with Katara. Both of Katara's parents were non-benders. Her mother, a non-bender, sacrificed herself to the Fire Nation troops who were searching for the one bender in their tribe. There was only one, and it was Katara. Why has Avatar The Legend of Korra been following this idea that benders must have bending parents or parents? I mean, that's a weird... It's not so much a fan reaction is the mm-hmm. thing that I yanked out of everybody's discourses. I'm not exactly sure, because I think that's something that the series definitely did continue, and maybe maybe this is a sign that, you know, when they did the pilot of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, they didn't have a fully <laughs> fleshed world out, and uh, now we're just getting a little bit of retcon. Shocking. But I, you know what? It's also... It's been a while, right, since that series, and... I'm getting the sense that after Aang did what he did and kind of, uh, I don't know, helped help the world attain a sense of peace, it seems like bending has just become a little more commonplace. Like, now it's easier for people to become benders. I think there's something sort of spiritual going on there, and that's why we're seeing more specialized forms, too, so easily. Yeah, I still am a big fan of that either Aang or Korra, through an action, has done something to change the relationship of the Avatar mm-hmm. to the spirit world and the avatar to the world they live in so hopefully that's something that goes up but in terms of specifically this katara question yeah i don't know i think it's something that they didn't figure out and they needed a dramatic opening uh to put katara and sokka off to find ang and And i'm -hmm. I'm pretty glad that the show didn't feel indebted to the previous show either like not everything that was established in avatar the last airbender needed to be true in this show like we can deviate from it for the purposes of storytelling and that's that's a good thing because you don't want to get set and locked into your own rules um in my in my opinion um do you feel like that consistency is important i feel dave that you might really stress like if you build a world stick to the rules i mean i would sort of say that for any other series but uh, i will continue to bring up again that this is the series that refuses to tell me what happened to zuko's mom so (laughs) i mean you could have stuff like that where i'm pleasantly surprised by where they take the world but i also wouldn't be surprised if they genuinely try to mislead us by making us (laughs) think we want an answer to something we don't actually want an answer to and so i mean that maybe that's a Maybe that's the disconnect, the cognitive dissonance I have with people who think that, you know, we the finale was too quick and wrapped up too much. So I'm like, what, you wanted another Zuko's mom where it's just like we may never know? <laughs> like, how how unsatisfying would that be? Or if, like, Lynn just didn't get her bending back. Like, that's the other option. People are like, oh, you just, you just give her bending back to everybody. Like, that means the mom didn't have a threat. I'm like, well, yeah, but I also don't want another season without Lynn being yeah, awesome but so. they could have given her given her bending back like early next season that could have been like like what i was saying before like i, I think the perfect point to end that finale was when ang showed up and just like ended there it's like what does that mean 
and then leave Korra without her, all of her other bending skills for the, you know, until next season, until we figure out what's going on. Right. But if, if that happened, we'd be having a what's going to happen in season two episode right now instead of a <laughs> let's have a reaction. To, <laughs> sure. To but, I, you know, I, in terms of the storytelling I like, I think I think I would have been a little more satisfied with that ambiguity. You, you, you could have gotten some closure, a little cliffhanger action. Right. Anything well, could happen. From what I been hearing now about the process of production on season two they're all done being written and no one has greenlit a season three so i think we're looking at another closed narrative for season Mm. two guys although i feel like i've read interviews with um michael and brian about you know they would be willing to do a season three if it came around which i'm sure the demand will be well and also like there is the potential for like a full-fledged movie at some point like Mm. if Korra is taking, it's basically becoming more and more anime than uh, Airbender was, becoming more of like a mature anime, um, I don't know, OEV series or something. And yeah, the logical outcome from having something successful like that is a movie. And I would, I would love to see like a big budget, big screen Korra movie. The audience is there, I yeah. think. If it can get higher numbers than Mad Men every week, then the audience (laughs) is there. Um, Following up with another kind of bending lineage um, comment, Mike sent us a a message that said, uh, It occurred to me Amon's plan to take everyone's bending away has a major flaw, because while he is removing their ability to bend in the present, unless he kills all benders, their children will all have potential bender abilities. He obviously knows this since his father, Yakon, gave birth to two benders after Aang removed Yakon's bending. So Amon's master plan works right now, but it's not permanent. Um... And that, and I felt like I heard a couple people say like they were a little wishy washy on what Amon's big plan was, mm-hmm. knowing this, no, especially since his backstory is so connected to the fact that you can lose your bending and then be a bender. Right. I mean, they probably couldn't say this in a Nickelodeon show, but uh, the logical outcome, guys, is uh, you take away their bending, then you round them up. And you put them in these special camps so they can't reproduce <laughs> anymore. You know, like that's, yeah, that's you know, pretty much where things were headed. Camps for people that have trouble uh, focusing, like some sure. some sort of camp to help them concentrate. Yeah. Like oh, some yeah, sort of concentration camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, that's yeah. We're in the I mean, it's it's a Nickelodeon show. So getting your bending taken away is the death equivalent. Um mm-hmm. Until, you know, a bo- certain boat blew up, for all we knew, like, they were treating, you know, people getting their bending taken away as, like, the worst possible thing that could happen right. to them. So, I mean, I, I mean, uh, the weird thing, the, they had the thing where Tarlock said that he ended up being shaped by the ghost of his father, and I think Amon did too, where he has, like, this anger towards benders and a vague idea of what to do with it. But, you know, he's also been raised his entire life to take back Republic City. So maybe he just kind of ended He's a up... bit of a psychopath. Yeah, he just got in a little sure. over his head. Well, I think yeah. um, our listener, Subjectively Mikey, kind of puts it well in saying that um, in regards to Amon's motives, he was equalizing Republic City. It is stated by Tarlock that Noah Tak was always a fair and equal person, and he believes that it is Amon's fervent belief that bending is the source of all the world's woes. Amon's goals were indeed to rid the world of bending, to make the world equal. There is also the possibility, and I think this is key here, that he was doing it so he could be the most powerful person left. And um, that's what it comes down to. The man's evil. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the kind of thing that's like, oh, we're, let's go for the simple solution here, storytelling-wise. But it's because it's a grand uh, motivation. I just want to dominate these people. And um, I think that's what Amon comes down to and why, ultimately, it was fulfilling to me to just see that he just wants to wipe these people out. He's been hurt right. by these people, and he seems to have this idea of how to eliminate bending, and he's just going to do it. Um, and you, we saw how much he enjoyed bloodbending those wolves, and that that was kind of symbolic, right? Wolves are pretty strong, scary animals, and he got a certain amount of joy from manipulating them and making them do what he wants. So I don't know that that seemed really telling of his character and what he would do eventually. Hmm. Yeah, he seems like a little bit of a power addict. Um, <laughs> but I mean, also maybe we didn't get the full extent of Ahmad's plans because. If I know anything about leading large masses in, uh, you know, fiction, it's that you probably don't tell them exactly what you're going to do until Mm -hmm. it's too late for them to stop you. So who knows? Who knows what his actual plan was if he had actually, you know, defeated Korra like he wanted to and had a full equalized Republic City. Right. Um, That's something that 
I'd be interested to see. Uh, we'll wait to talk about what book two might hold until later. Uh, oh, I think we can touch upon this briefly because uh, some people think that Amon could potentially return for book two or that someone could take the identity of Amon um, and, and run with it and see if, you know, maybe that's the central villain of book two. But I, I really think the um, the book is closed on Amon. I don't really need to see him come back. I don't really need to see the plan whatever that may be, kind of expanded into anything else. I think it was very specific and driven by this grand idea of eliminating benders, and I don't really see where it would go in a book two. Um, I mean, I would less be interested in seeing Amon in book two and more interested in seeing what happens to the equalists after Amon goes, because it's like they had legitimate claims to be, you know, discontent and just because mm-hmm. they happened to choose a crazy person. So, I mean, the council was taken by a crazy person, too. So it's not like the benders have, a, you know, a high and mighty stance. But it's it's like I think there's still a discord in Republic City, and I'd be interested to see if that works. Oh, yeah. hey, Patches. Yes. Would you like me to read this email? I would. <laughs> I would like you to do that. All right. Steven says, uh, hello, love the podcast. You're also insightful. Thank you, Steven. Regarding season two, I think the equalist movement can still be an issue. Just because their figurehead is gone doesn't mean their ideas would dissolve. Hiroshi Sato believed so strongly in the equalist cause that he was willing to kill his own daughter. The equalists had valid complaints about living as almost second-class citizens to the benders. The lieutenant even said he dedicated his life to the cause. So even if Amon was fake, he wasn't. If anything, finding out Amon was a vendor should intensify the anti-vendor sentiment. I think Hiroshi can rise up and be the new leader of the movement. If he wasn't put in jail, he could be a bigger threat than Amon since he could openly state who he is in his story. He could twist it to be that the benders destroyed his entire family, killing his wife and corrupting his daughter. What are your thoughts on if the movement will disband or what the issue will be in season two? I mean, yeah, I hope it doesn't mm. disband, um, but all those things could be potential issues. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know if we need to see any more of Hiroshi. I think it's more likely that we see how what Hiroshi did affects Asami. Yeah, he, he's done. And I think, I mean, we were talking about this before, like how Asami would end up taking up the mantle of like the business and maybe some of his ideals. She is a non-bender. And I think it'd be interesting in the next series to really explore through one of the main characters what the equalist movement actually means, maybe in a non-violent way. And Asami is probably our gateway to that world right now. Finally, an animated version of the reconstruction of the United States after the Civil War. <laughs> yeah, I've been longing sure. for this for a very long time. Um, well, but I mean, I think that's an apt comparison. If they really stick with Republic City and don't have Korra go on some bigger mission outside of the gates, uh, um, we actually know the answer to that. Oh, we do. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. they or they, or half they, the have... season might ha- take her away from Republic City, I believe. The, the the Avatar wiki quotes Bryke as saying it'll be a mix. We'll get some world exploring, but we aren't going to leave Republic City entirely. Um, but obviously, if, if it takes place immediately following these events, as opposed to maybe like 20 years down the road, which I would it would be hard to believe that because I think Korra being a teenager, a young adult, is so important to her character and the stories that we would tell with her. Um, so it'd be kind of surprising to see the show take a really big jump into the future. Uh, so I assume that the next series might be not too far down the road. So this reconstruction period would be happening and the equalist sentiments may still be there. I mean, it's not something that can just dissipate uh, unless it really is. And they felt unified uh, by the avatar telling the truth and standing up for them in some capacity against Amon, who is obviously playing puppeteer. Uh, I think that it's more that they, the Avatar made a big show about standing up for them in front of Tarlock. Like, she raised two big chunks of the city and was, like, ready to smash a council member into the ground, and they mm. had to arrest her and her mm-hmm. friends. And, I mean, everybody saw that. It's the, you're our Avatar 2 moment. And so maybe... But that didn't decide, sway the equalists. No, no, it didn't sway the equalists. But if you're going to put Kor in a position where she's going to have to be the one that solves this... I think that she may not be completely, you know, uh, foreign to non-benders now. Because hmm. I think that, I, I don't know, I would hope that the uh, the non-bender equalists give Korra a little bit of credit for, you know, being on to the fact that they were being corrupted from the beginning. But maybe not. Maybe maybe they don't give Korra the respect they would give an Aang. <laughs> uh, well, why don't we move on to something that I know is near and dear to Dave's heart, and ah. that is the love... Shipping! The shipping. Well, it, let's not call it the shipping. 
No one's shipping here. This is stuff that happened in the show. It's about romance. It's about relationships. And when you're dealing with people, young people, there's bound to be some of that. Uh, okay. I know a lot of people I were apologize. unhappy about that. Uh, it seems like the romance kind of rubbed some the wrong way. Devendra, you, you were pretty happy with the arc, the romantic arc here in the show, right? Yeah, it was it was fine to me um, just because it kind of made sense. You know, Asami was this strange character who came out of nowhere and kind of distracted Mako. But all the while, you could see his and Korra's relationship growing. And uh, I, I really did like the quiet bits at the end, like the way Mako and Asami kind of just put a stop to their thing and how uh, Korra and Mako finally get together. I don't know. I thought it was perfectly fine, but I'm not sure where they're going to take the happy little couple thing next season. I really doubt that there would be a lot of, like, kissy-kissy, we're in a gooey relationship kind of thing. I, I mean, she's still a teenager, and I think there there has to be some amount of that, just because, I don't know, this is probably her first, like, legit relationship. Hmm. So if this is really about Cora and her life, then, uh, you know, yeah, it's going to be important. It's going to be a big factor in next season, and that's also what makes me worry for Mako's life now, so, you know. Yeah, if they Eskimo kiss each other at any point, I'm just going to boo at the screen. <laughs> be like, it was Mako all along. He's the lame one. Uh, she, she's probably going to do something like this. I'm, I'm not Asami. Okay, this is not cool. <laughs> yeah, no, PDA doesn't seem like Korra's style. Uh, oh, we should, we should probably read this email. Yeah, re- read this email. It says, while I appreciate what you guys were trying to say about the subtlety in the Mako Asami moment, I still think they're a bit too vague there. For example, that scene could have been left exactly how it was, and if Mako and Asami would have still been together in the end, and it wouldn't have seemed out of place to me. At the part, Marco, Mako says, I want you to know how much I care about you, and she responds, I care about you too. If they had simply said cared in the past tense, I think it would have been much more clear while still being subtle enough. I know he means he still likes her, <laughs> and thus he used the present tense. But since everyone's interpreting that as them breaking up, I think the past tense would have simply implied that he didn't mean to hurt her, even if he did, and that he cares about her in a different way. Clearly, Mako always liked Korra, but he was confused because he liked Asami too. Over the course of the show, he came to realize what his true feelings were. It seemed to me that Mako never really said, I'm sorry to Asami, and I think he should have. If he had said cared... That would have at least implied an apology as well, at least in my eyes. Whereas leaving it as care, I felt was a bit too ambiguous. C- cared, cared is such a diss. It Aaron, is. It's like, oh, we can't be friends anymore. Sorry. Aaron, yeah. Aaron, don't use past tense with your significant other. Not a good idea. That's always <laughs> like a bad. Don't want to be friends with them anymore. I do agree, though, that Mako should have apologized at some point. It, it seemed like kind of a jerk move to never really like do the whole breakup thing. But I don't know. This like the the clarity people want for this kind of like i guess people can't juggle the idea of maybe liking more than one person i don't know if it's like the twilight thing you can only pick one you can't have both (laughs) well i wonder if yeah twilight has really tainted the uh drama and the reality of something like a Mm -hmm. true Mm -hmm. romantic triangle um you know, I, I can relate to Mako. There's beautiful women in my life all over the place and, you know, trying to juggle Ow, all right. of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you think, you know, you think you're all alone kissing someone on the dock and then your brother's there like a douche. With his uh, pet fire ferret. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm never going to call Pabu a douche. We've been there. <laughs> Maybe I should clarify that. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the interesting thing to me is listening to our episode and then reading a whole bunch of reactions uh, I don't know why I'm okay with the subtlety in the Mako Asami thing, but I'm also very anti-suicide theory uh, because I think those oh, yeah. are two, those are two very similar subtleties. Um, but I just just can't go as far into the suicide thing. But I, <laughs> I think it's, that uh, it's funny how often those two concepts came together, right? And I'm also I've been hearing from people, oh, they wanted Mako to save Korra at the end. It's like what it, what have you been watching? Like, the point of this series is Korra to find her own inner strength, and she's the one saving Mako time and time again. Like, really, this is not Twilight. The girl does not need to be saved by the heroic man. Right. Seriously. She goes to try to commit suicide, but he feels her, and then, like, you know, has to... And also, you know, that cancel. scene is directly from Twilight, right? So yes. Where she yes, did it throw herself off the cliff. <laughs> well, just to back up, like, to play to that theme, too, and why Mako is not really the empowered one in any of these scenarios, I still mm-hmm feel like Asami is in complete control of that oh, yeah. uh, of that quote-unquote breakup, which I believe is a mutual agreement that their relationship is over. Um, and Asami doesn't feel burned by that. 
I don't think. I think yeah. she understands that, and this is a totally mature uh, evolution of their relationship, a decision that they've come to terms to, and um, she walks away knowing that it's not going to work, and she's very powerful for doing that. Um, yeah. and I very really bright. like Asami as a character now, like af- after everything we've seen this season and after that whole final scene, I wish the show had more time to devote to her, and I hope she still plays a big role in next season now. Spin-off Ooh. comic book. Yep, and there's oh, another yeah. email, too, about that. Really? Campbell says, uh, I'm pretty sure we'll have Asami back for season two since Sychel Gabriel, I'm sorry if I'm missing that name, uh, confirmed working <laughs> on it. Uh, I just hope she'll be on Team Avatar. I'd like to apologize to Asami, too, for thinking she was evil. Sorry, Asami. Asami grew on me over the course of the episodes. I don't think she was just the, nece- the necessary character to block out our Makora feels, like so many complain. She was the link to figuring Hiroshi Sato, Sato is the equalist and busting Amon in the end. I feel like every antagonist in Legend of Korra was also a victim, except Yakone and Hiroshi Sato. They were just insane. Because in the end, you even feel bad for the lieutenant. Oh, I did feel yeah, bad for yeah. him. I really hope Asami, and we've kind of alluded to this, takes some sort of like Harvey Dent-like position in Republic City. Uh, post all of these events where she District is... District Attorney? Yeah, where she's the non-bender, but she's in a position of power to really aid their efforts. Mm-hmm. And um, and is maybe even more powerful because of that. Because she can become part of the... You know, she can relate to the equalists. She can relate to the benders. She's just this all-encompassing figure who's extremely powerful in the way that she can talk to people and be calm and be understanding and be emotional and i I think she's going to be a great person to kind of rise through the ranks of republic city as uh, the world continues to evolve you know it'd be awesome and this is fully speculation but over the next two assuming that we get a third which i think we will if the ratings stay up on season two like they were in season one um i would love to see like asami do a full breaking bad and just like slowly become asami versus Korra at the end of the series (laughs) yeah but just, like, build them full parallel. Like, you already spent season one making them sort of parallel. It's just, like, keep going. I would I would be in Or just take bad. the Batman yeah. route and throw her into a vat of uh, acid accidentally, and uh, she's a bad guy now. Go. She becomes, like, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the laziest the is Batman. And, uh, to a certain degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if she gets thrown in the acid and then puts on the Amon mask, and oh, oh my god, <laughs> you need me, Avatar says New Amon in preview for book two. That's true. That that would be kind of interesting, but also so comic booky. So, oh, know. we're already in, deep, deep <laughs> we're in well Batman into that. territory. Yeah. Um, here's a random comment uh, that I really enjoyed. Um, Navigator X sent us something over Tumblr. He or th- this person enjoyed the Makora Sami wrap up. Thought it was really well done and mature, um, but tacked on this little bit that I really enjoyed. Lynn's reaction to Katara not being able to restore Korra's bending. The expressions Lynn had when Katara couldn't do anything was heartbreaking. I think Katara was the only one or only hope for getting her and Korra's bending back. Lynn calls Katara the best healer, and Katara couldn't do it. You see the defeat in Lynn's face. It just broke me. To think that really set in the reality that she wasn't going to ever earthbend again. Um, uh, that scene broke my heart too. You know, I loved that fallout, and maybe that's one of the reasons why, kind of the ending was. I was back and forth about it because I really love how powerful it is to see Korra stripped of her powers and how that really affects people. I think Lynn was even more broken up about Korra being destroyed than maybe even losing her own powers. Mm-hmm. I want to give some props out to whoever did the coloring on the final two episodes because Lynn's uh, like skin tone actually gets paler after her bending is gone. Huh. So she's like she looks pathetic. Yeah. Which well, the same thing happens so to well. uh, what was it the the Tano. Tano. Tano? Yeah, yeah. I think I called him Kurt Cobain after he <laughs> lost Cora. his. He was strung out, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, eyeliner is it was his reason for living. Yeah. <laughs> As it, it is for many of us. Powered by his bending, right? Powered by his bending, liquid eyeliner. Uh, random comment again. Kaz Juice says, "Remember when the task force took down the Equalist training basement and that old lady who seemed to be in the teacher escaped? Whatever happened to her?" <laughs> Book two, bad guy. Book two, bad guy. I love, I, and that, that's kind of the reason I, or one of the big reasons I love Legend of Korra and the fan base because the attention to detail. 
and that's a testament to the filmmakers or the and Brian and Michael and all the direction, uh, Joaquin. It's just like there's so much detail packed in every scene. There's happening things happening in the background, the foreground, um, and people never lose sight of it because the attention is paid. Uh, and I love little bits like that. Oh, there's someone running out. Who could she be? Speculate, speculate. Um, One of my uh, favorite episodes of the original series is the Ember Island players because it's you know that one episode right before the huge series finale um, where they kind of take a moment and have the team avatar, you know, watching themselves on stage and it puts them in the position of like (laughs) us as fans. Right. And I would love to see something like that with Korra. I don't think we have time, but it would totally be something like that. We got the Korra cosplayers during the, um, (laughs) the pro bending matches. That's true. But don't you want Bolin to be like, Asami, if you're an awesome driver, why did you crash into Mako? <laughs> like well, I would just love that to just to acknowledge acknowledge my weirdness. Their legend is less uh, prominent than Ang's journey was, so it would be it would be difficult to do. It would have to be a small scale, maybe like an off off uh, Republic City Broadway production, black box theater sort of thing. Sorry, <laughs> a radio play. It could be a radio play. Yes, that would be amazing. Um, oh, and here's a comment that I thought was interesting about someone who thought that maybe the bending powers are getting a little ridiculous. Uh, Fantastic Dinos said, something I wanted your opinion on in the series was how overpowered bending has become. One of the most blatantly ridiculous things we saw was General Iroh 2 flying with his firebending. I'll admit that he didn't do it for very long, but the only other time firebenders could do that was during Sozin's Comet. But it wasn't only fire. Tenzin is pretty skilled, but his airbending has uh, but has airbending ever been powerful enough to launch a mech tank 50 feet up in the air like in episode 10? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, we just haven't seen airbending. I think that's one of the best observations you've had, Devintra. It's like, man, I'm so happy we get to see airbending in a serious fight scene mm-hmm. in this series. Because I think in Avatar The Last Airbender, Aang was exploring a lot of his other bending powers. And he would often go on the airball and run around people, but he would use other types of bending to fight or uh, airbending to escape. And Tenzin is really on the offensive with his airbending. It's really cool. And But I think that the um, uses of bending in this series were amped up partially because mm-hmm. now we, we the bending has been established. We can go anywhere with it. But also because people seem to be better benders in this world. Yeah. I, I want to say that... Um I think that it's bending's different, not necessarily amped up, because someone else brought up in the Tumblr comments, I didn't have time to copy it in, uh, that, you know, lightning bending also would, like, killed Aang in, like, the season two, or the book two finale, but here it just kind of, like, shocks people and makes them go limp for a little while, so it's, like, it's not one-to-one, and fire jet propulsion on fire has always been a thing that's why they show him Mm -hmm. falling without jet propulsion he doesn't go up he just steers himself but azula used to do that on the ground so without regardless if there there was a comet so i don't don't think that we saw anything weird it's just science and iroh's just awesome (laughs) yeah we also get him in the air because he kicks butt Oh, yeah. come on. It's so good. Um, like, I, I can understand these complaints, but, you know, like I said before, this is 70 years after the events of Airbender, and a lot has changed. The world is a little more stable. I think people are less worried about, like, fighting with the Fire Nation. They have time to train now, and there are all sorts of weird technological adva- advances that we're seeing, too. It kind of all makes sense to me that we're seeing a little more amped up stuff. Uh, let's see here. Brian uh, sent us an email that said, Did you guys catch Avatar Yang Chen's tattoos lighting up in the Avatar state? I thought that was a pretty cool adjustment from the first series. I was always curious why Yang was the only airbending Avatar. His tattoos glowed in the Avatar state. Small detail, but it made this fanboy really happy. <laughs> I agree. It does make me really happy. I'm kind of weirded out that the only thing that glows on Korra is her eyes, because that seems weird to me, like, what are they tattooing people with that conducts your chi? But you know that's 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 fine. That's for book two. What's in that ink? What's in, what's that, in magic that tattooing ink? ink? 
We're um, going to spend an entire episode with Milo getting his tattoos and learn all about them, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, another kind of random comment from a Daco Tyso Random said she loved the Dakota finale. Dakota is Dakota so is so random. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> uh, anywho, she loved the finale, and then this comment really struck me. It was really one of the best animated finales I've ever seen, uh, up there with season two finale of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, which I'm like, what? Is I that really, is that show really, really amazing? Yeah. Oh, man. I yeah. can't watch My Little Pony because being a brony is dangerous. Yeah, but like... <laughs> Putting it up, putting these two side by side, I'm, I really need to watch this show. I would never have imagined something with My Little Pony to be as fascinating as. Uh, it's a it's a really tough show to watch, but it is actually if you've watched Powerpuff Girls, it's a uh, it's kind of same deal. Wow, yeah. fascinating! Every every year I go to like the Hasbro unveiling of their new toy line, and they also you know produce the My Little Pony line, and it's on. They help produce the show, and I've seen a couple episodes, and they put a lot more love into that than they need to and then the fandom is also amazing that's also why i say it's dangerous being a brony is dangerous <laughs> it's you get you get addicted to things uh i i i'm trying to convince my friend julian to make a twilight sparkle is black t-shirt because that <laughs> really pisses people off when you say that <laughs> anyway she also says that no man's land and cora would be rad so i would I, yeah dakota it would be let's do it um, Dave, read this very touching email. Uh, Nick said, hey guys, I love the podcast and I'll miss it when you go away for the season break. We may not be away for that long, Nick, but thank you. Uh, I had a few thoughts about the finale that I wanted to throw out there. First of all, what a series this is. I watched Avatar The Last Airbender with my four-year-old daughter last summer. My wife thought it was funny. I liked the car- I liked the cartoon. However, by the end, she started getting into it. Then in Korra, she watched it in the background as my daughter and I watched Transfixed by how good this series was. By the finale, my daughter was cheering when Korra airbends to stop Amon. My wife sheds a tear with Korra, and I must admit I did both. Not many forms of media can bring such different generations and tastes together to be moved by a show. Aww. Well, that's what I was really curious about. If, um, you know, I remember the Harry Potter movies getting more mature and it's like are these movies still for kids can we classify them as as kids entertainment or for adults now now that the fans have grown up but i feel like legend of Korra uh, would stimulate on a on a visual level too i don't know if you need to get all the political stuff um to really enjoy it and it sounds like that would be the case and i think some of the best anime is like that yeah, I mean, I'm really impressed by the fact that Nickelodeon doesn't seem to be too worried about uh, getting these shows' themes across to uh, what it considers its core audience, uh, because I know that, you know, sometimes networks get a little touchy-feely in that one. Uh, but it's... Uh, I don't know. I th- I think almost if you, like... We had enough fighting in Korra that I think that they nobody would have complained. Like as long as you have you know your one act of action and your two acts of exposition, it doesn't really matter what that exposition is. <laughs> Just from a network standpoint, not from a fandom standpoint. Uh, but I think yeah, it's it's definitely fun for the whole uh, family. I definitely think that if you do have a younger child, though, start them with Avatar because I think right. that if you start in the middle of Korra. It's like too much to take in the com- more complex characters and l- relearn the worlds as it's evolving. But if you're, you know, an adult anime fan, like start with Korra, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I want to jump into kind of how the finale wrapped up. And we touched upon this a little earlier, but there's many thoughts on this kind of suicide final moment uh, idea. Uh, Dave, why don't, why don't you read off our, our first email? In the last, uh, this is uh, Ikin the Kitsune. Kitsune? I'm sorry. That's you're, right. a Tumblr, you're a Tumblr person. Uh, in the last podcast, the suicidal Korra theory was written off as an excuse for drama without any real purpose, which I'm not sure is an accurate uh, adaptation. Sorry, this is Dave responding to the comment. I'm not sure that's what we said, but I'm going to continue. Back with the comment. Quote, but I'm convinced that's not true. The point of this theory isn't that Korra is suicidal. It's that Korra considered it made a conscious choice against it, and finally decided not to let the loss of her identity destroy her. And when she realized that that and had committed herself to rebuilding her identity, even if it meant change, she broke her spiritual block and let Aang in to heal her. End quote. Um, yeah. That's a lot to read into a five-second glance at the ocean. A tear falling to the, f- yeah. to the ground. So, I mean, that's actually a better interpretation of that whole theory than some of the other things I've read, but again, it's 
then you're adding so much to it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Well, when we have that whole episode about unlocking your different chakras to get back to the Avatar state after it's been closed off to Aang in the original Last Airbender, it literally is you have to give everything away. And he's mm-hmm. unable to, you know, give Katara away because he needs to keep love. So it makes sense that she, you know, has a moment that she, you know, has given everything away. I don't think she needs to contemplate suicide. I don't think that has anything to do with the chakra. Like, I don't think that, you know, she ever would have thrown herself off that cliff. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with that, um, that it just seems too much for a quick moment. And I think that we should give Michael and Brian more credit for the way that they've paced the show, even if you think the finale, the final moments go move quick, very quickly. Um, I, that Suicide is such a weight, weighty, uh, heavy issue that I cannot imagine it being handled in a single tier. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think of something like, and, and anime, obviously, and all, many cartoons tackle mature themes like this. So I, I thought about Grave of the Fireflies the other day, and I'm like, here's a film that really goes for it with um, <laughs> some of very adult themes and just will make you ball uh, if you haven't ever seen that film. Um, but this is not the moment for that to really be explored properly. And because it's such an important um, issue, I, I cannot imagine. I don't. I wouldn't want to project on that and try and mm-hmm. explore it in that moment because it, it doesn't do it justice. If that's I mean, true, <laughs> if you talk about what's actually in the text and how the finale recontextualizes the whole series, if you go back to Voice in the Night, like Korra's worst fear in the entire world is that she gets her bending taken away and that she's useless because she realizes, like, without her bending, she's barely an avatar and is certainly not a leader. And the problem with the series as a whole is that we have to establish that in, like, episode four, and there's so much plot to fit in that they, you know, you have to hold on to that core. But if you watch, you know, Voice in the Night and then go back and watch that ending, I think it's very clear what, like, her worst fear has been realized, and she's just nothing. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it's, I'm nothing, and therefore I don't deserve to live. But I think it's like, I'm nothing, I don't deserve Mako, I don't deserve these people who love me, and I'm going to run away as fast as I can. And it's even in the pilot, she just runs away. That's like her response to being mm. under stress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what? This whole conversation is so much more interesting than just saying, ah, suicide. That's it. Like, it, it seems like this and the whole, um, the thing with, where, with uh, Koran and, or no, Mako and Asami is that people want concrete answers. They kind of like want one quick thing to describe exactly what's happening and I do love the fact that the series is kind of brave enough to just kind of kind of leave it open for you and not give you those very, very simple answers yeah, either. Because right. they're not happening in real life. Exactly. Nor, nor do you want those simple answers, really. You feel right. like you do, but no one wants Cork. <laughs> I'm always back and forth about projecting onto art. Um, like you said, Dave, what's in the text? What are we watching? What is actually happening? Should we just devour it in that capacity? Or can I project and think, man, if I was standing on that ledge, lost my bending, would I like be contemplating throwing myself over a cliff? Uh, I find that fascinating that people want to project and involve their own feelings into a show. I think that if you're trying to divin- definitively state that something is actually happening in the show that might not be the best way to go about it and like right. be loud yeah. and say she is trying to commit suicide no that's, that's not apparent is. but what is apparent are your feelings for it and i think that's how you know the show is working it's provoking you and mixing your own feelings into it and that is justified you can do that you can say right. that this might spur you to consider that feeling but i don't think you can say that it's happening yeah. yeah, I like I like Devinder's way where it's like, yes, it's valid to think this, but it's like the most boring answer and you'll have so right. much more fun with it if you try to poke at it a little bit more. Exactly. That's that's kind of how I always approach criticism and looking at, you know, art and pop culture. It's look at what's most interesting, guys, because it's usually with smart showrunners and smart writers, that's usually what they're going for. Give them a little credit here. And uh, you know, I'm not going to win myself any fans from the Twilight uh, group here, but really, it is. I, I kind of looked to that, and I looked at Bella Swan throwing herself off a cliff. As like that sort of normalized the whole thing now, and now people are like, oh yeah, I guess characters can just do that and not really have any motivation aside from like I don't know, being bored and lonely and wanting a vampire dude. So I I love the fact that Korra is much stronger 
and a character who kind of doesn't need to deal with that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. To keep moving to uh, wrap up quickly here, uh, uh, reader Ryan Hendrickson sent us an email that I am going to paraphrase for time, but he basically felt that the restoration of Korra's powers after that moment um, in such a hasty way kind of undermined a lot of what he liked about the series. And I think he kind of made a reference. um, It's a problem that he has with uh, war video games. You get shot like crazy, and just because you hide behind a box for three seconds, you have full health again. Um, And it's not emotionally fulfilling. It's not truthful. And I think he was a little burned by that. There's a guy that's going to enjoy Zombie U when it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and, And I tend to feel the same way, although a reader of ours, Joanne Zhao, I hope I pronounced it correctly, um, did theorize something that I find interesting that may uh, help this feeling that I have about um, this kind of bait and switch where she magically just gets her powers back. Uh, Joanne says, I noticed that she only had the power over all four elements gave Lin, slash gave Lin back her bending when she was in the Avatar state. I have a theory that aside from when she's in the Avatar state, Korra will still be unable to bend anything besides air. That would go well with what the show creators were saying about the second season being more spiritual and that she would have to likely be dealing with the loss and also trying to learn to control the Avatar state in order to restore the bending of all those powers that were taken away. Um, I like the theory, but it seems like she's pretty in control of the Avatar state by the end when she's giving Lin her powers back. Yeah, um, unfortunately. I wish there was some sort of ambiguity like that. Like, oh, I it's back, but I can't fully use these powers. Or I have to train more or something. Yeah. You know? Do you think that it's not entirely truthful? I mean, I think all shows, all great shows, and this is what I love about Korra, strive for honesty, even though it takes place in a fantastical world. Um, do you still feel that the show was honest in its final moments? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all I mean, want I it to that's, be. That's my biggest problem with the finale, and I brought this up last week, is that it did seem too easy, right? After all the struggle and all this work, uh, okay, the powers are back, Lynn's saved, everything's fine. And it, I don't know, It, it I guess it, it seemed honest, but also seemed a little pat, like a little too easy. For me, it's like, I got sold a Legend of Korra book one air, and I kind of felt like I ended with, you know, it's hard being the son of a mobster, which is fine, <laughs> and I they did it really well. Uh, but it's like everything became parentage and, you know, our lead character wasn't involved in that and politics and our lead character wasn't involved in that. I mean, she was an observer and we kept hearing about how she needed to train and everything outside of Korra's arc became so interesting that I wanted to spend so much time there that by the time I think we needed to loop around and make it about Korra again, we had five minutes left. So it was like, uh, well, we can't not do this. I, I still think that, you know, despite what everybody thinks they want, if this ended on a cliffhanger, I would have been super pissed. It would have been a different discussion, that's for sure. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to read some of these Love Waffle bullet points. Oh, wait, about yeah, I, I just want to say one, one comment before we do yeah. rattle off some crazy theories. Um, Blind Bandit 5 mentions an interesting thing that I just want to plant. I want to incept a, an idea into people's minds that if you can... Um, if Korra, as the Avatar, can grant people their bending back by imbuing them with her energy bending or whatever she's actually doing to make this happen. Uh, Can she give non-benders the ability to bend? Or uh, multiple bending abilities? I think it really opens the door up, the back and forth between uh, bending, non-bending, and how she's able to grant powers and use the Avatar state to imbue people, and I just found that a little fascinating. Maybe well, that could be a conceit. sit down on my knee, Mr. Patches, as we <laughs> talk about how bending originally happened, which was the lion turtles back in the day. I was about to say, I'm sitting on the lion turtles' <laughs> knee, really. Used to Michelle. only bend people's energy uh, to give them bending, and then it became uh, various spirits would uh, teach the various nations. So we have the Dragon Masters mm. uh, you know, teaching the Fire Nation, and the Air Bison teaching the Air People, and the Moon teaching the Water, and I forget who te- taught people Air. Um, oh wait, the Moles. The Blind Moles that Toph... Uh, or you mean their- uh, Earth. Earth, yeah. sorry. Uh, but point being, yeah, I, I think... Uh, the, I think the lion turtle says to Aang that you know before the av- in the times before the Avatar we used to bend people's energies. So it's definitely possible 
to both give and take away different bending things. Um, but I, it's interesting because then that starts making the line really fuzzy between bending as like a power and bending as like something you train to be able to do. Right. Yeah. Which uh, I, I think it, I think it'd be interest the most interesting if she's able to give people the potential to be a bender, but like they still have to like work at it. Well, book two is going to get crazy no matter what. I think yeah. we can all agree on that. Bullet some, points, Dave. Here's some love waffle, uh, user love waffle bullet points about some wild assumptions and what the next season uh, will bring us. Uh, five year time skip, just like the jump between season one and season two of Young Justice and the skip between Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, Asami has the reins over future industries, coverly renamed New Future. Uh, doesn't run into the ground. Uh, <laughs> The lieutenant tries to continue the equalist cause, runs it into the ground. Janora uh, is old enough to become an official member of Team Avatar, which I'm actually all for. Uh, Pro Bending comes back, starting off with a friendlier, friendlier rematch between the Fire Ferrets and the Wolf Bats. Tano doesn't have any bending, though. Korra takes up Tano on his offer for private lessons. Turns out not to be sexual at all. I think that's kind of funny. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Bolin has a beard and at very least be- has begun to learn metal bending. Why I does he have a beard? Why? <laughs> I love that that's important. He's older. Sure. Show the passage of time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bloodbending comes back and Korra has to learn it. Uh, learn a positive aspect of the art. Um, someone else brought this up too, that uh, there being much ado about bloodbending means that Korra might have to ask Katara about that. Um, mm-hmm. And then a villain from the spirit world leading up to a showdown that has Korra and Aang fighting together what? That entering the Avatar state in the spirit world would be anyway. That's insane. <laughs> but also, I really do feel like book two is going to have to take the world into some weird places um, for it to kind of amp mm-hmm. up and, and um, stand against this first series, which was so compact and so thrilling and um, so heavy at times. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm we excited. We still have Ko's promise that we will meet again, Avatar. Oh, God. Mm. No one can drop that. That line forever resonates through all Avatar fandom. You can just say that for any character, too. I, yes. I love, like, a show creator can just, like, create instant drama by <laughs> dropping something like that. Red herrings everywhere. Time. Next time, Gadget. What happened Next to Zuko's time. mom? <laughs> yeah, promise episode three, Dave. We'll get there. Don't worry. Um, and just one final comment. Enchanted Hunter says, While Dave's mispronunciations of everyone's names bug me, I congratulate him on really trying to fix it while dealing with flack from fans. Dave, congratulations. Pama, Pama, Pama. Nora, Flashcards. He made flashcards. Oh, man. You you guys don't even want to know. Um, well, that about wraps things up for our fan reactions episode. Thanks, everyone, for submitting ideas and really taking it seriously. And, um, you know, the creators took it seriously, and so did we. So I congratulate all of you. Uh, Dave, we don't really know, and Davidra, we don't really know where we're going next with the podcast, except maybe, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going somewhere. So somewhere. Uh, keep looking out for new episodes as we try to get it figured out. We're uh, Dave and I are going to be at Comic-Con, hopefully attending the Legend of Korra panel, so you can look for us there. Uh, it's also making us extremely busy, so we might not have another episode until after that. We have I think, no idea. I think a safe bet would be, uh, if we both make it to the panel, having some sort of podcast Something like about that. that. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, but there's more to come. We just have to figure out what it is. So keep tuning in. Why don't we sign ourselves off, Dave? Hey, it's me, Dave with the 7. Uh, I've been... Ruining Marvel's Life at latino-review.com <laughs> and I do a podcast about movies and pop culture with Patches and two other fine folks at Operation Kino uh, on iTunes. Davindra? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Davindra. I write about technology at venturebeat.com and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. And I'm Matt Patches. I'm the movies editor of Hollywood.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches, P-A-T-C-H-E-S. Oh, I run another podcast with Dave, as he said, Operation Kino, which you can find on iTunes. And I'm on Tumblr, MattPatches.com, so check me out. Uh, that about wraps things up. We will see you next time. <laughs>